Good morning. Good to see you all. Good to worship together. Good to be back, uh, as Jackie's already said, and uh, um, into a bit of a rhythm. Rest is good. We love love rest and time with family and all of that. But there's something that uh, there's something that is good about getting back into some sort of routine and rhythms, and um, be really good tomorrow morning whenever we. Gently lead our kids back to school in the morning. Thank you, Jesus. Um, the, uh, one other quick thing in terms of announcements that I would love to say, um, just so that you know that it was, it's not a one-off. The trolley that, uh, that you hopefully all of you seen whenever you were making your way here um, is going to be a permanent fixture. Uh, we want to we want to stand alongside the guys in helping hands and put it down, um, not just as a one-off. Sometimes it's it's really easy to do one-off gift and one-off donation. And I honestly want to say thank you. Your Alan, who heads up the work at Helping Hands, was so incredibly grateful for your generosity, both in terms of food donations, but in terms of money donations as well. It uh, it meant a huge amount, and. Um, and sometimes, maybe, maybe this is revealing a bit of a pet peeve of mine, but it's been really easy for us to get a picture of Alan and hand over the check with all the food that we give donated and stick it up on our social media. Say, didn't we do? Didn't we do well over Christmas, church? Um, but we do want to do that. We want to. We want to commit ourselves to, to journeying with Alan and the and the people that he is journeying with right across um, this Armagh, Banbridge, Craigavon, Portadown area, and so. That is going to be there, and hopefully for some of us it might just take a wee while to get into the routine, but it would be amazing if just there was a whole load of us that were on our, we get into the rhythm of just going to our grocery shopping and picking up two or three extra things just to, to set in there. We're wanting to engage the community in this, we're hoping to engage the after school club parents and the youth parents that this is something that as a, as a, as a church, as a community that we will just support this, so. Um, that's going to be there. Uh, we will flag it at times throughout the year for different times, maybe around February and Easter and all of that, but just to put it on your radar um, again this morning. Um, just before we get going, can I just ask, the, it made the news this week about uh, Rishi Sunak's decision, that, or not decision, but his desire that everybody would... Uh, would be doing maths right up until the age of 18. Anybody in the room in favor of that? What was it? Any, any thoughts? Bit of a murmuring, bit of a grumbling. And that's my problem with it. The, this idea of making everybody do maths until 18, you see the reaction from people. It has caused widespread division. No? <laughs> my own material? Be on material. Come back next week if uh, you want to hear more of that. Oh, here we go. Yes! Crowd participation. This is the dream. Come on, hecklers. Who wants more? Any more? Oh, there's bound to be more to play with here. Huh? Here we go. Anybody? What about this side of the room? Any comedians over here? What is it? <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Jeb. We've hit in the middle of this side. 
Well, let's just think about it. If you, if you want to heckle me throughout this, go work away. Um, today is, uh, well, Thursday um, or Friday, the 6th of January, was in the, in the Christian calendar was what's known as Epiphany. As for throughout the, throughout the Christmas season, you'll know that we followed, uh, in some ways we followed the, the lectionary, we followed the Christian calendar, it was we acknowledged and prepared and waited during the Advent season. We got to Christmas and we celebrated the anticipated one, the arrival of this one that had been anticipated. We were waiting right throughout the, the prophecies of Isaiah as he reimagined a world for us. And we, uh, we waited throughout that Advent season. We got to Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, and we were able to, as, as family, celebrate the arrival of this one that had been anticipated. Not only God with us on our side, but God with us as one of us. And in some ways, we want to we follow on. I know I sent a, a video um, just to sort of give you a bit of a glimpse into where we feel like we're going to go over the next few weeks and months possibly. We talk about our, our time and our treasure and our talent. Um, but I just felt as I, as I was reflecting on Epiphany on Friday, this date in the Christian calendar, I just thought it would be good just to, to, to pause again and before we get stuck into where we're going to go, I think what, what I want to say here this morning will almost catapult us into where we're going to go over the next number of Sundays. But just so you know, Epiphany, many ways of many ways of describing what this is. Um, one commentator talked about it being the first manifestation of Jesus to the Gentiles. Because not only could this be called Epiphany, in some traditions it's called Three Kings Sunday. Because it was the revelation of the King of Kings, the King of all kings, the King of the King of Kings of all the nations. There was a revelation of this King to the Gentiles, to the three by tradition, not by scripture, uh, of the Magi, the wise men, the kings that came from the east, that came from Babylon, these Gentiles that came and had a revelation of the God incarnate in the person of Jesus. First Gentiles to have this revelation of God incarnate in the person of Jesus. There's this revealing of the King of Kings to the nations. And that's what Epiphany is acknowledging, is a celebrating that this, this stirring, whatever it was that took place, was a revealing of Jesus, the first manifestation of Jesus to the Gentiles, the revelation of God in flesh, coming, Emmanuel, God with us. It was the revealing of the true King of Kings um, to the nations. Uh, Eva's going to put up a picture. I'm glad the kids are away. We've, we've, we, Christmas is over. You've been to all your children and your grandchild's, grandchildren's uh, nativity plays. And so I was quite generous. I waited until after all of your plays, all of the nativities, to completely uh, destroy all of your nativity pictures. Um, 
some ways I do this with some satisfaction because that's the sort of rebel I can be at times. Um, but the nativity scene, if you are familiar with it, you'll, you'll be familiar that there is Jesus born as a baby in this stable, disconnected from everybody and everything and everywhere, surrounded by animals. Actually, here's the, the, the Magi as part of this scene. Just so you know, there's no, we're not told in scripture there's any animals at the scene. We're not told that there was any inn. No, some of your versions will say inn. There's no innkeeper. I, I feel bad saying this because the P6 performance of the nativity had an innkeeper in it and he was brilliant. And I felt, I felt, I feel bad, but there's no innkeeper mentioned in the story. It's tradition, it's, maybe it's harmless, but there's no innkeeper, there's no inn. There's no animals mentioned being at the scene. And there certainly was no three magi at the scene of the birth of Jesus. They weren't, they weren't there. Pull up the next one, Eva, if you can. Just by way of keeping it light. After the three wise men, the three wiser women arrived. And they brought fresh diapers, lots of formula and casseroles for the week. Um, <laughs> so I, 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 say, I say this, I'm going to get to where the Magi were and how long it took them to get there in a moment. I want you to hear my heart a wee bit that this is, this is maybe harmless, maybe you think I'm being pedantic, pointing out these things, ruin the nativity scenes. Um, I waited till after Christmas. I waited till all the kids were out of the room. But sometimes it demonstrates, and this is, and maybe this is unfair, but for me it's just like, it reveals a bit of a, a frustration in me at times to, towards myself, but towards, towards sometimes people that I'm in conversation with. It frustrates me how that, I think moments like this nativity story can demonstrate, maybe this is a lighter, a lighter illustration um, but it demonstrates how much we can read Scripture through our own assumptions, how much we can read Scripture through our own traditions and our own culture. And so and we, we, we've done it with this story. I know for me, a number of years ago, whenever somebody told me, did you know that there was no innkeeper mentioned in the Bible? I was horrified, really horrified that I'd grown up with this tradition and this assumption for so long and just assumed it was there. That maybe seems like a small, insignificant thing, but I think it can demonstrate how we can do it with so much other parts of the Bible. I think that's why I've loved the Genesis series. It's why I've loved engaging with people who, who don't like it, how, how people are engaging with it, who don't fully agree with it. Because we haven't given this book, we're not doing this Genesis series to hand you a book and say, this is what we believe and this is what you have to believe. So come and... Let's all believe the same thing together. But we wanted to shake ourselves a wee bit and say, has there been assumptions and traditions? Has there been our own culture that we brought to the reading of Scripture that has maybe been harmful? That has maybe been a distraction? And this is maybe minor. There's just a bit of a frustration in me that we can do that with some of the more significant parts of the scriptures. 
some of the more significant parts of the good news of Jesus, the, the gospel story. I'm not going to spend time in that today. Um, but I did want to point it out. Let me read Matthew chapter 2. Let me read the first uh, 12 verses of Matthew 2. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east uh, came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we have observed his star at its rising. Like, what's that about? We have observed his star at its rising. These astrologers, these were the, these were the ones who had this manifestation of the King of Kings, of Jesus, of God in flesh. We have observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. Or some of your versions will read, simply, we have come to worship. And when King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for wise men and learnt from them the exact time when the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring him word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. And opening the treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Um, amazing story. In some ways, I, I in some ways I can't picture it. I was thinking about it over the last couple of weeks. Think like. Because it was, it was a couple of times I went out into the into the front and looked up, not every night, but there was a few nights that there were stars in the sky. I looked at the stars in the sky and I was like, how would I know that star has stopped and where is it over? But anyway, the, the travel, the journey that these guys took was from, they reckon from Persia, from the east, from Babylon. They observed something in the stars. They recognized something that had taken place in the stars. Something significant had happened. So significant that they made this journey to Bethlehem. And so it would not take you long. And if you could do this, Google Maps is a great thing. You can go and realize that that journey that the, that the Magi took was around 1,200, 1,300 kilometers, around 1,000 miles or so, give or take. 
So that like you need to be you're pretty certain that you've observed something significant for you to set off on a thousand mile journey on camel with all these gifts. I don't know who else was with them. I don't know how big their party was. But it was helpful to go into the story of Ezra. The story of Ezra tells us um, about how there was a group of people left Babylon um, and we're told in my version that in April, I don't know if it was April in those days, but they left in April and arrived in Jerusalem, which was maybe 10 or 15 miles from Bethlehem four months later. So the journey at least took around four months, maybe longer. And Herod wasn't, Herod wasn't taking the risk. Herod, after, after working out when the star appeared, after working out when this child was born, he didn't take any chances. This horror story we're told of um, to, on, in verse 16 of chapter 2, of how Herod, in fear of this king, in fear of this significant one who had been born, decided that any child, any boy under the age of two was to be killed. Horrible, horrible story. So somewhere in, in, in around maybe four, five, six months it took for these, these magi to make their way to worship Jesus. We don't know how long it took them. But when they arrived, um, Mary and Joseph were now in the home, we're told in verse 11. Um, when entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They knelt down and they worshipped. I'm afraid there's so much that I want to say, but it was, it's just this verse 12 that I want to draw our attention to. I feel like I've just been gripped by it for the last week or so. They left for their own country by another road. Something significant had taken place. They had observed it in the stars. So convinced were they of the significance of it that they made the thousand mile journey to worship God in flesh. To worship this one who was born king of kings the nations. And I want to suggest that so significant was that encounter, so significant was that revelation that they couldn't go back the same way. They could never go back the way that they came. And so I know I'm taking a bit of license. I know that they were warned in a dream. But I do believe that as they, these as these men, as these wise men began the journey back home to Persia, to the east, the Gentile nation, something so remarkable had taken place that I would love to know what the conversation looked like as they made their way home. Because every, nothing was going to be the same again. Nothing was ever going to be the same again. And I would love to know what they talked about. Guys, what are we going to do now? 
What are we going to do with our, with our time? How are we going to explain to people? How are we going to explain to people what we've witnessed? We have, we have worshipped and we have encountered love incarnate. We have been in the presence of the most tangible form of love and mercy and grace and we cannot do what we were doing before. We cannot give our time and our energy and our finances and our gifts to all that we were doing before because we have encountered Jesus. And they could no longer go back the same way that they came. And that is, I suppose, the, for me anyway, the, the beauty of the epiphany. For us, 2,000 plus years later, we have waited, we have built up on the anticipation for the coming of Jesus and he is here. We have celebrated him coming and if we have had revelation of the beauty and the wonder of he is with us as one of us to journey with us, to reveal his grace and his mercy and kindness to us, we cannot go back the same. And I'm not one for big, like, big statements at the start of a new year. I think we can have these moments at any time. We can preach this sermon at any time. But for some of us, it's a, it's, we come to the end of a year. My prayer, honestly, my longing for us this week as I've prayed for you has been as we reflect and we look back on 2022 that we would have had such an encounter of the love and the goodness of Jesus that we would not be able to go back the same way. That we would arrive at 2023, we are, we are going a different route and our conversations would look like something similar to what the Magi were having. We have encountered Jesus. Are you aware of what happened? Are you aware of what it means that he has came to be with us as one of us? And the conversations that we would have, how is this going to affect our time? This is going to completely change how we use our finances, how we use our resources. Nothing will ever be the same again because we've encountered Jesus. That's my longing for us. We've had this revelation of Emmanuel. We've sang about him this morning. We have this revelation of the King of Kings to all the nations. My prayer for us is that we would never want to go back the same way. In some ways, we would never go back to the way that things were. Once you get an encounter, once you encounter Jesus, once you get a revelation that he came to be with us, you will find yourself on a different way. Serve it. And so in the West, when it comes to this uh, epiphany, this day of epiphany, it's usually the Western Christians in the West that celebrate and acknowledge the visit of the Magi. In the East, Eastern Christian brothers and sisters over Epiphany would have been talking and celebrating and meditating upon the baptism of Jesus. But I want to suggest that we, we could have either way, I still think we're talking about the same thing. Whether it's this, this revelation of Jesus that we've had that we can't go back the same way, things will never be the same again. I think we're saying the same thing even if we were talking about the baptism of Jesus. Because the baptism is a reminder of our burial, buried to our old life, buried to the way that things were, to take us back on this newness of life that Paul talks about in Romans. 
where things would never be the same again. So I think whatever, whether we're in the, whether we're Western or Eastern, we're we're saying the same thing. There's an encounter of Jesus and going a new way. It's going to require some sort of death, some sort of letting go, some sort of relinquishing. Um, and that can be difficult. That can be really challenging. Um, the burial of an old life means a means some sort of death. Going to death, something. We reevaluate priorities as we reevaluate what we give our attention to. And I suppose that's one of the questions I'm asking myself. Again, it's good to ask us at any time of the year, but as we enter into a new one, it's a good time maybe to say what needs your attention. What needs your attention? And I think if we're going to sit with that long enough, we're going to sit with that, the Spirit inevitably will reveal something as we sit with that, with a desire to listen, with a desire to change. And I have to tell you, it will likely involve a letting go, some sort of death, some sort of relinquishing. Because any spiritual growth or advance, or what, there's probably better language for that, any spiritual depth, growth, advance, whatever language you want to use, it is likely, in fact, it is going to cost. So if that's if there's a, if there's any desire in any of us today that we we're we're thinking what needs our attention, what needs what do we need to give our priorities to, what maybe needs to die, what do we need to let go of? Because we're wanting more, we're wanting to advance, we're wanting to grow, we want to be deeper in our relationship with with each other, family, with God, of course. And it's going to cost. And I think, that, and in some ways to try and segue this, um, hopefully as seamless as possible, that I think it likely will fall in the categories that we are going to be speaking about over the next number of weeks. When it comes to relinquishing, letting go, cost, it will be in our time, our treasure, and or talent. And so I'm looking forward to doing this together. It's going to require doing it together. And that is, we're going to, we're, over the next number of weeks, we'll, be, we'll inevitably be in the story or the, the book of Ecclesiastes. Can't, I can't get away from it. In some ways, it, like, if you sit with it too long, it can drain you a wee bit. <laughs> Um, but there's something I think for us to learn in, in Ecclesiastes. And I think one of the things about the first two or three chapters of Ecclesiastes is so much of what the writer is saying is all about, is all about himself. And as he gave himself to this, he began to realize it was all empty. It was all pointless. Because as I observed the things that were under the sun, I began to realize it was all futile. What was the point? And, so, and, and by the time I got to by the time I got to chapter three of Ecclesiastes, there seems to be a bit of a shift. 
and I think it's because maybe 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 it's because I wanted him I wanted to say this, but it feels like there's a bit of a shift in his observation, and I think it's because he started to do, to discern with others. He started to discern within a community of people rather than just on his own. If you discern and you try to work this all out in yourself, I think you'll end up like the writer of Ecclesiastes, especially in your worst moments. All pointless. Even if it's successful, what's the point? If it turns out really rubbish, what's the point? It, ends up, it, could, it could end up in the, in the same place, but when we work it out together, we're entering into a place of just discerning. And that is going to be the key word as we talk about time. We talk about time, the key word, I suppose the watchword over the next number of weeks will be discerning, discernment. As we not only as individuals, but as a family discern what is most important. Because I'm convinced that a faithful Christian life is a matter of keeping time with the Spirit. Keeping time with the Spirit. Because he's always working. He's always restoring. He is always reconciling. And for us, the task, I think, as we think about our time, is how do we discern where he's at work, where he is restoring, and where he is reconciling. And I think time is just, it's just a good conversation for us to have. In some ways, this is the lighter side of it, is that over between Christmas and New Year, we feel so disorientated by time. Like, I'm sure most of us had conversations at some stage in that week between Christmas and New Year, what day is it? Like, just what date is it? We had that with our kids so many times this year. Um, we just become, can become so disorientated by time. And even as we enter into a new year, like, if, it feels like even Jada, Jada's only 10, but she's like, I can't believe it's 2023 and I'm 10. I don't know what, their, don't know what the connection was, but she can't believe it's 2023. She's beginning to think about writing that down in her book, and she can't believe it's 2023. It's not that she's disoriented, but just the like we just can be we can get to a new year and just be like, wow, we are at 2023. How's that happened? Become so disoriented by time. And so I'm wrapping this up. But I just wanted to say a couple of things as we as we begin to uh, think towards the next number of weeks. There's this word, dyschrono, dyschronometria. Anybody know what that means? It's a, it is a condition, but it's this inability to keep time. And I came across it this week because there's a, there's a writer that I love called James Smith. And he talks about the church today. He talks about contemporary Christians having spiritual dyschronometria. Just this inability to keep time. Just this inability to discern the times. And so there will be times over the next number of weeks that we'll look at the Old Testament and we'll look at the New, and we will see the gift of the prophets, the gift of men of the Scriptures who were able to discern the time, who had a really good sense of spiritual timekeeping, again, language that James Smith uses. And so Psalm 90, verse 12, begin to wrap up with this. Psalm 90, verse 12 um, tells us to count your days. Teach us, Lord, the psalmist says, teach us, Lord, to count our days so that we may gain a wise heart. 
or grow in wisdom or words to that effect. Teach us to count our days. And over the, over the course of the next couple of weeks, I think I want to dip into that a few times. Because sometimes I think there's certain theologies that we have that actually just has us counting down our days. I don't think that, this, that is, I want to suggest to you that I don't think that's what the psalmist was talking about. It's not a matter of counting down our days until we get to the end. But it's rather uh, helping us to find our bearings. Again, it's a spiritual timekeeping conversation, I think. It's a discerning where the Spirit is restoring and where his reconciling work is taking place. And so I'm not saying that we're going to get nostalgic, but I also want to let you know that history does matter. And so though we're at a we're all although we're at a new year and we're looking forward, I think we can't ignore in some ways where we've been. And so we, we want to be able to wrestle through, as we talk about time, we want to be able to wrestle through our own history and the history of the church in order to help fuel where it is that we're going so that we live faithfully in the present. So Father, would you help us do that? Spirit of God, would you um, just unite our hearts in uh, just our pursuit of growing and deepening our relationship with you and with each other. Spirit of God, I pray that you'd find, God, you would find us open-handed as we start um, reflecting on where we're at and where we want to go. Would you help us, God, uh, for no, no matter who we are, where we find ourselves in this moment, that we'd, we'd, we'd come open-handed. Even maybe with some traditions and assumptions and un unhelpful cultural baggage, God, we want to come open-handed with that. With all the things that take up our attention and our affection that maybe don't bring life, we want to come with that and hold it open-handed. God, we want to be prepared to relinquish. We want to be prepared to let go in order for us to be who you have longed for us to be. And I thank you for each life. I thank you for each story. I thank you for the testimony and the history and the legacy and the purpose and potential in each and every person in this room. And God, it, it requires a vulnerability, God, but we'd be courageous enough to be vulnerable, to be open-handed, to relinquish all the stuff to let go of all the stuff that would distract us from being the people that you long for us to be. Jesus, we thank you for 
Epiphany, we thank you for the revelation the Magi had of Jesus and how it changed the very direction, the very course of their lives. And God, I pray that that would be our story. That we would encounter the light and the love of Jesus. That would